Welcome to Stop Telling and Start Listening with David Cook. If you're frustrated with the way we are speaking or not speaking to each other, if you find yourself easily at odds in your conversations with people, this may be just the show for you. Listen in as David and his guests will help you elevate your communication skills and navigate the tensions present in many conversations today. Now, here is David Cook. Hey, good morning. Good morning. This is Dave Cook. Welcome to another great episode of Stop Telling and Start Listening. Uh, My name is Dave Cook. I am, well, David Cook is what I've been going by with this show. I am your host. I am excited to be here today. Um, I love these events. Every every week we get to talk to somebody new, unique, and special, at least to you. A lot of the people that have been on the show, I would have to confess, are people that I've met in the past, worked with in the past, and have enjoyed powerful, meaningful um, interactions with them. And that's the reason they're on the show is because I would love for them to share who they are, where they are, and the amazing things that they're doing or the things that they're doing um, that I think are of just interest um, to you or to me. But anyway, um, I have my guest on. I'm, uh, she came in as we started the show, so I'm just going to kind of do a quick check-in. Jody, are you there? <laughs> I'm here, friend. Hi, how are you? Great. Yeah. Yes. You know, uh, Jody came in just as we started the show, and normally they come in early, but she had technical issues, which... Hasn't happened on the show, thank goodness, but it did today. So um, I kind of like started the show winging it and Jody showed up. So I'll, I'll do a brief introduction for Jody and then we're going to take off. Um, like I was saying, Jody is one of those unique people that I met probably about four years ago. And when I met her, she was doing um, providing uh, performance coaching for um, a realty uh, organization, national realty organization um, based out of Detroit. And I love the conversation. We ended up having coffee and talked and kicked it around for a while and talked again. And now it's been four years later and Jody has taken her coaching um, enterprise and her coaching activities to an entirely different level. She's written a book, which is awesome. And we will talk about it today. And I don't know what else did I I leave out anything else that you wanted to make sure I put in there, your introduction? No, I think that's it. And just to clarify, I was actually at KW. I was at Keller Williams. Okay, there it yeah, is, yeah, Keller Williams. Absolutely. Yes, and I have a. Actually, it's kind of funny because I have a gentleman that I know here in um, Arizona who's um, was on the show probably about eight episodes ago. Who's doing um, all the similar work to what you're do were doing at Keller Williams at the time. So it's kind of funny. All my all my brilliant friends have a stint at Keller Williams. I guess. <laughs> Interesting. So anyway, uh, hey, thanks. Happy Monday to you. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for the invite. I'm excited to chat. Okay, so let's uh, let's dive right in. You know, one of the things that um, that when we did a, a quick, brief conversation about you being on the show probably about a month ago, um, you were talking about um, the 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 maps and the fact that uh, our life is essentially we start out with a blank piece of paper and we. Our life maps out we where we go, who, what we do, how we do it, where we do it. We just create little markers along the way. It's the journey of our life, and it's it's a map. But you've turned it into a a little bit more. It's not only um, it's not a map just saying this is where I've been, but it's a map. Is here's some of the things that I've done and learned along the way, and how you use that information to what create a new path or create a more powerful path moving forward is that pretty much it or why don't you just let you tell me 
Yeah, absolutely. So, and thank you for that intro. So yeah, just to answer the, a quick question and to create some clarity, I just recently wrote a book that's called Healing Your Map, and it's a guide to understanding discernment, trauma, and human behavior. So for anyone that doesn't know me, I like wild out in, I would say I nerd out in human behavior, because I think it's really powerful to understand what makes someone a victim versus what makes somebody else a survivor, right? So some of us may have similar things that we go through in life. And there's people that just use that as leverage and they triumph with it and they they lead powerfully with it. And that, yet there's other people that may have a similar life experience, but they're paralyzed, right? Like that event just paralyzed them and stuck them. I want to say like um, stop them dead in their tracks and present day, they feel stuck in some of these spaces. And so the concept of the book really is, I believe that at the moment that we are conceived, we're given a blank map. And this blank map then collects every single life experience we've ever had. So it records every sound, every color, every flavor, every relationship, every success, every failure, every single thing we've ever been through has been recorded on our personal map. And I share that in saying like, I have a map, you have a map, our kids, our neighbors, our spouses, our teachers, parents, everybody on the planet has their very own map. And that map then becomes the lens through which you filter the world, which is why you and I can witness something and have two completely different recollections of what happened because we're filtering it through our subjective lens. Mm -hmm. And so I share that in saying, I think a lot of times in our Western approach to behavioral medicine, and not to use big words really early, right? But like in our Western approach to behavioral medicine, we're getting really used to pathologizing human behavior. So somebody shows up and, and they're like, oh, you have this, this, and this, that means you have this, right? Mm -hmm. And we're labeling with people, oh, you have this, 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 you have anxiety. Oh, you have this, this, and this, you have depression. You have this, this, and this, you have ADD, right? And and putting these labels and in, in, on people and putting them into boxes, Versus saying, hang on a second, how did you get these criteria? How do these criteria consistently show up in your life? And in my world, it's because they're anchored on your map. Mm. And and not to um, not to go off topic, but I feel like just to give somebody an analogy, if somebody has ADD or ADHD, which I feel like now everybody's like, oh, I have it, I have it. That means that as a very young kid, you learned to like defocus your energy. So you may have had some tactics or some challenges in your childhood that you created like your ability to fragment your energy. And it may have been a safety thing, right? Like, hey, or like I have to watch after my siblings and I have to do this thing and I'm supposed to do my homework and my mom or parent is yelling at me and I'm doing this. So you learn to fragment your attention. And now as an adult, you still have this fragmented att attention, even though the threat is gone. So mm. you've created this pattern of functioning in a fragmented sense, right? In this defocused sense, which is why people say, oh, I just can't focus. My brain is everywhere. It's the learned behavior. And so that's kind of my thing about the map is when we teach people how to heal their map, they start experiencing life through a different lens. They start experiencing and being able to navigate into other places because their map is healed, right? Mm -hmm. So if my map keeps saying turn left and I wonder why I can't turn right, I don't want to say whose fault is it, right? But it's like the challenge lies in the map, not mm -hmm. in the way that we're trying to turn or in us. It's in our ability to do that thing. 
Mm. And so I lean a lot into like Eastern, I want to say Eastern practices or Eastern philosophies of, I think that we have everything that we need and it's about going inside and healing, right? If Once we're healed inside, we worry less about the outside. But as long as we're running around in this fragmented, uh, defocused arena, we blame everything outside of us. We think mm-hmm. everything on the exterior is wrong. And mm-hmm. that's, that's generally what the book is about and what my world is about, right? And so I feel like I just nerd out in human behavior because I think it's really cool to recognize and to give people space and grace for who they are today versus either shaming them for who they're not or creating this expectation that they should be someone else with the skills they were given. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, I think a lot of times we wonder why people don't do things. And I always say, well, is does that does that skill live on their map? Do yeah. they have access to do that thing? Whether that's in an emotional pattern, whether that's in a linguistic pattern or a physical pattern, whatever it is, right? This just popped up for me. But like if somebody walked up to me right now and asked me to pick up or to bench a 200 pound weight, I probably can't do it, right? right? Because I didn't train myself to do that. That's not part of my skill set. It's much the same as a, a parent that says, my kid just won't behave or my teenager is rebellious, where it's like, okay, where did he learn these things? And and how did they learn these patterns? We don't just show up, I'm air quoting, broken, mm-hmm. right? We don't just show up that way. We have this like little by little by little stair step of all these events. And then the parent is mad or right. Like, I feel like I could give you a thousand metaphors, but it's just about understanding Things happen in a sequential pattern, and then we arrive at the end. They don't just happen at the end. It's that we weren't paying attention to all these little things. Mm-hmm. Make sense? That makes a lot of sense. It's cool. When you were talking about that, it's kind of like the, uh, for me, the the analogy or the metaphor, I don't know which one it is. You can tell me after I'm done telling the story. But um, <clears throat> whenever whenever an organization, you know, a business or, you know, maybe an entrepreneur has has success, everybody says to them, so what'd you do? And they talk about what they did the last six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks. Oh, I'm going to start doing what you know Jody did because look at her business. It took off. And what they didn't see was all the stuff that 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 individual or that organization or that company had been doing for the last 5, 10, 15 years to get to this point where some things got momentum and took off. Is that's kind of what you're saying, right? It's not, it's not in the moment today. It's that's what we realize the outcome is. But the journey to there has is protracted. It's the map, right? It's the path. Absolutely. That okay. Yeah, you're spot on. And I think that's the part where people don't understand. And sometimes I candidly share the idea of like, <laughs> this is terrible to admit, but it's true, right? Like, imagine all the things we're capable of doing right now while driving. <laughs> and not yes. that we want to admit it, but I, I promise you, I have at one point in time, and I see people do it all the time, people will be on a Zoom call while driving. Mm-hmm. Right. But aside from, I mean, that's really far, but we're putting on chapstick. We're reaching for our purse. We're holding a coffee. We're holding our phone. We're probably text messaging. We're yelling at our kids in the back seat. We're changing the radio station. We're messing with the, the temperature of the vehicle, whatever. Right. And that's just what's happening inside our car. Yeah. And so I share that in saying, imagine doing all of those things while you were, look, I don't know if you remember the first time you drove a car, 
I vividly remember because I thought my dad was going to kill me. And you're not, you're not, you're not aging me, are you? You're not doing that on purpose, are you? No, 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 not at all. But I'm saying, imagine if we learned on the day that we learned how to drive a car, we also had to learn how to do all those things. It wouldn't have been possible. And I just candidly share, like the first time I drove a car, I remember trying to turn the radio up because my dad was like, what are you doing? And as I turned the knob up, I also turned, like moved over two lanes. Thank God I didn't hit anybody. Right. But he was like, can you leave the radio alone and learn how to drive? And so just learning how to drive alone is a feat. But then over time we add things in and the more things we add in, the more we normalize them. Right. And it isn't until, right, we're doing 95 things at once. We're on the Zoom call with the chapstick and the coffee and all the things. And then the the red ball runs in front of our car, rolls in front of our car. And we're like, it stops you dead in your tracks because you're like, hang on a second. That wasn't part of my plan. Mm-hmm. Then we're brought back to this conscious space. But until that happens, we might be driving with our knee. We have the radio on. We're doing our thing because we've created this cadence and this flow of this unconscious programming of what we can do while we're doing another thing. Mm-hmm. And so human behavior in our map is the same way. So when people say, oh, well, when that person said that to you, why didn't you say something back? And people are like, well, what? I didn't think they said anything wrong. Or how? why not in these situations, right? Like we don't catch ourselves in the pattern because we've normalized it. Mm-hmm. It would be like somebody saying, how many stop signs do you pass on your way to work or on your way home? And you're like, I don't know. And now logically we could be like, well, one, two, like, it's just not something we're conscious of. Much mm-hmm. like right now, if I was like, hey, what does your left foot feel like? You're like, oh, I, I have one, <laughs> right? Feels like my or, right foot because they're touching each other. Right. <laughs> And so it's about understanding, like, we're not always aware of all this content and all this information that's flooding into us, which is why we normalize things. And that's why our brain is constantly, like, working towards efficiency by minimizing and sorting what we take in. Mm -hmm. But in that same space, we've started to take in content that's not healthy. And when it's time to shift or change, we rarely take that content into consideration because we've normalized it. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, and so we're dealing we're dealing with the ultimate symptom and not the whole process and that's why when you say we label we allow ourselves to get labeled up because we say here's the symptom i'm i'm easily you know adhd i'm easily distracted and like you said how long has this been going on oh forever right, right. well then so then what's behind that because now it's not necessarily let's call it adhd and give you a pill it's more like let's understand what that looks like and how, you know, what have you been experiencing in the past and what some things you've done maybe to interrupt it or to learn from it or whatever, as opposed to just labeling it and dealing with it at the end of the line, as opposed to the lifetime of experiences? Yeah, 100%. And I share that in saying I've done a ton of training with Dr. Bandler. So Dr. Richard Bandler is one of the co-creators of neuro-linguistic programming, which everyone references as NLP. And one of his famous things that he says is like anxiety isn't something that you have. It's something that you do. Mm. And so when we realize, okay, this is about something I'm doing. This is about someone that I'm being versus something that I have. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was just candidly thinking about like somebody might have um, chicken pox. They might have the hiccups. They might have, um, I'm trying to think of that's things that we could actually have versus being when I'm mm-hmm. embodying something and I'm playing a role in the outcome, but I've normalized my role in it. That's when I feel like I have, right. 
in order for me to have anxiety, it would need to be genetic. It would need to be like, which it's not like I was going to candidly say, I have brown hair, right? I have green eyes. Mm-hmm. Those aren't something I can change. What I do with my, I should, <laughs> I should honestly say, I have gray hair, right? That I, what I do with it is make sure it's brown for people to see. Right. But that's the thing, right? And so it's about understanding, like, what are we doing that's continually perpetuating the habits that we have? And how can we find ourselves in those pockets and stop doing those things so that we can try to find some alignment or some um, similar energy into the outcome that we're looking for? Hmm. Right. Much the same as if somebody's I feel like we're beating up on anxiety or ADD. If somebody is constantly saying, oh, I have anxiety, I have anxiety. Okay. Let's look at all the things that you have to practice and be really good at in order to have anxiety. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now what would you like to be? Would you you'd like to be calm? You'd like to be present? You'd like to be not whatever, right? Like let what would you need to practice in order to be in that lane? Right. And where does that show up in your day? And how consciously aware are you of those behavioral patterns and, and pulling them forward versus recognizing the ones that don't serve you? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. sense. It makes a lot of sense. I was thinking, um, actually, I was thinking I'm down a couple different paths, but I'm just going to go go to the one that's most recent in my mind was, <clears throat> and I'm going to get a free, I'm going to get a free coaching session from Jody out of this question. But anyway, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, actually, you know, some some things have, you know, without getting into too much, too many of the details, but a couple of significant things have happened in my personal life in the last two months, and so I went to Detroit. Um, for work a couple of weeks ago. And what I decided to do when I went to Detroit is I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I obviously I have to be present for my clients. That's what I'm there for. But when I'm not there, usually I socialize and meet with friends and go out to eat and all that other stuff. I said, you know what, I'm just going to hole up. I'm going to spend time with myself and get in touch because I know I'm out of whack. I can just feel it. Sure. And the and the really weird thing, Jody, with that was, is that by the end of the second week before I went home, I realized it was like the light bulb went on and said, dude, you just didn't get out of whack over the events over the last couple of months. You're in a, you're in a significantly nasty, deep hole. And it's like, yeah, you know, you're right. It's, this has been going on. I've been on a steady descent and I kind of like adjusted and adapted and adjusted and adapted to each stage of the depth yeah. of the descent to the point where I thought, yeah, I need to get, I need to fix my, I need to work on myself, but I didn't realize how much work was involved because I didn't realize how far I had traveled, I guess, on my map <laughs> from point sure. A to point B. And it was like, it was a wake up call. It's like, dude, you are really off center. You've been, and obviously I can tell by the way I'm looking at things, you've been off center for a long time. It's just progressively getting worse. Is, is that the kind of thing we normalize it or we find a way to Absolutely. Yeah. And, and muscle kind of through? Yes. And what you're describing too, I I speak to in the book and I call it masking, but it's the Mm. same thing. I feel like what you were talking about where you're like, yeah, I noticed this thing. And then I just tried to like cover for it. Right. I I noticed another dip. And then I was like, and so I feel like we mask and we either say, no, I'm fine. Or we don't get enough sleep and we put more makeup on at least us women do. Right. Or we don't get the, the emotional support that we need. And so we either seek it somebody else out for it, or we just act like we don't need it. Or we mask with something. We're like, oh, I'm just going to go buy these shoes then. I'm just going to go buy this bag, right? Or for guys, they might be like, I'm just going to go buy this motorcycle. I'm just going to go buy this 
whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And then it just keeps getting deeper and deeper until you get to a point where you can't mask it anymore and you can't ignore it anymore. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it's like, oh, hey, hi, I'm still here. Like I just kept getting bigger and that blanket that you were throwing over me isn't big enough anymore. Yeah. And for me to say at that point in time, because you're like, you wanted to get away from anxiety and stuff like for me at that point in time, go, yeah, I'm so depressed. It's yes, I realized today in this moment, I'm so depressed. But then when you start to look at it, say, dude, let's talk about when did you really start noticing this? Yeah. So, well, I had hints and snippets of it a year ago. So that's like, okay, now let's talk about what the journey's been, right? Is that what you usually do is you kind of go back a little bit? And so let's talk about the journey over the last year, last couple of years, so we can see maybe where it started. Is that what you try Absolutely. to do? Or, okay. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would look at people and just say like, I, I also bring a lot of humor into the work that I do just because I think that humor makes heavy emotion easier, mm-hmm. right? It's a little bit of a breakthrough. And so sometimes I might say to somebody like, how do you know that you're depressed? And I know that's not a funny, playful thing, but it's like, how do you know? And I dig a little bit candidly Mm because you might be like, oh, because of this and oh, because of this. And I share that in saying my entire coaching platform is built on asking questions because what I know for sure is I can't tell you what's wrong with you. I have no idea, right? Mm Because you're Dave and I'm Jody and I I don't know what's on your map. Mm -hmm. You probably don't even know what's on your map, but the easiest way for you to find out is through inquiry, right? Mm -hmm. Is through a ser- I don't want to say a series of questions as if I have an agenda, right? But in talking to you, I might say, hey, when's the first time you felt that pain? Mm-hmm. Or when's the first time you remember pushing yourself out of or away from feeling that pain? Mm-hmm. Right? And, yeah. and even diving a little bit deeper and saying, like, how old were you in that? And I always say to you, like, when I'm coaching people, I always say, I ask questions for a living. It's what I get paid to do. And I'm pretty good at it. However, I don't need the answers. So sometimes I might ask people questions and they unearth something and they're like, holy shit. And I can usually tell by their face that they're like, so I always say like, I, it's it's always cool. If I ask you a question and you don't want to answer it, that's fine. Write it down. Cause the answer is for you. Right. And so it's about saying like, what am I making this mean? Like, what is it about this feeling that I'm uncomfortable with? Mm-hmm. Or how old was I? Another powerful one too is how old was I the first time I remember this pattern running? And usually, I mean, nine times out of 10, people will say somewhere between the age of four and 10. It's just a developmental window that a lot of things get trapped in. And so most people will say something like, I was seven. And I might say, okay. Where else in your life right now are you letting a seven-year-old make a decision for you? Right? Because it's like, it's that rooted emotion. So whatever happened, and I'm I'm creating the story for you. I don't know how old you were, but say that you were seven when it happened. That seven-year-old moment was such a deeply and heightened emotional event that it got anchored on your map. Mm-hmm. And so it got anchored in your map and it was frozen in time. And so every time you try and pull forward that emotion, it's forever seven until it's processed and released. Mm-hmm. And I candidly share this in saying, this may not be your story, but this is why we see full grown adults in a store throwing a, a tantrum, throwing a fit, right? Is because whatever emotion they're experiencing never had the chance to mature. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also why people fall fall and have um, heavy emotional um um, like outbursts 
I want to say it's it's the same reason why people have these heavy outbursts. It doesn't even have to be a tantrum. It could be a um, reclusive distraction, whatever it is, like the totality of it is not something, it's not that they don't want to feel it or they don't want to process it. They don't have the skills to process it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's why people go, I don't want to talk about that right now, or we're not going there or mm-hmm. right. Cause we're pushing people away. Cause we're like, I don't know how to experience that emotion. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that would feel like. And it kind of surprises them because they don't know where it came from. Sure. And they've normalized it being there, even though they're not really sure of what it is. Mm-hmm. Or they've gotten really, really good at masking it. Yeah. It's a, that's that's fascinating. You know, um, my, my son, when he was working on his recovery, <clears throat> a lot of the stuff that he was, you know, the, the things that helped him with his recovery was going back and understanding um, he didn't, cause he goes, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm doing well. I was doing well in my recovery and then something triggered me and then I relapsed. And so what he did was he did work on the triggers. What are you, you know, what happens preceding you using? Well, I don't really know. That would be usually the answer, but then they spent time. What do you see? What do you think? What do you feel? What's the story that comes up? And all of a sudden things in his past would pop up as these little markers and then he started to realize that those were actually the triggers, you know, 30 years later or 20 years later, whatever it is that he was responding to. So he had to recognize where the source of those triggers and then yeah. how to how to re, how to recognize them for what they are at the time and how to respond to them in the moment today in a way that's more productive. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, that, yeah, which is fascinating because then it it, it, it encourages us. I should say challenges some of us because now what you like you do it's peeling back things that we found a way to keep under control and and or or like you say mask pretend it's okay or hide it whatever words it is and stuff like that um yeah that's that's yeah. huge yes and I feel like what you're describing too is I call it anchors and triggers mm-hmm. right and so like the only reason why somebody can trigger us is because there's a pre-existing anchor on our map. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just candidly share this, like a song might come on the radio and all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my God, this reminds me. And you're like, it, it's this song's like 30 years old, Jody, what are you doing right now? Or vice versa, <laughs> a song comes on the radio and you're like, man, this was, this was a, my wedding song or this was yeah. my, this was from somebody's funeral, like whatever it is. Right. We have this deep emotional connection to something and And we feel it and we feel it all the way through yes and but we're the only one that's feeling it the whole room isn't feeling it yeah right and so it's about recognizing that's an existing anchor and so there's a lot of times there's beliefs there's stories there's values there's all kinds of things that are deeply anchored on our maps that aren't accurate anymore they never yeah. were accurate. They were just interpreted in our our little six year old eyes or our six. Right? Like imagine like some of the times that we got yelled at when we were kids, and we took it personally. It, we made it we made it about like oh I'm a bad person or oh and the more times we retell the story, it's this shame based heavy energy, right? Yeah. But if we went all the way back to it and we were like oh my gosh I totally remember getting yelled at because. I'm just creating a story of like, I remember getting yelled at because I crossed the street and I didn't look both ways. And my mom was so mad at me, whatever it was. Right. And the the basis of the story we realized was that a parent was either trying to keep us safe or the parent didn't have the emotional capacity to teach us that lesson in the moment. And so instead it was loaded with shame. Yeah. And now present day, we're still carrying the shame story. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what the map is about is about saying, how do I clear this territory? And how do I get really clear on what I'm experiencing present day today instead of through those six year olds' eyes? Perfect. All right. Well, we're going to take a break and we're going to yeah. come back to this because this is uh this is uh fascinating stuff and it's very interesting. I love it. But it uh, a big part of this, Jody, and we'll talk about this on the other side is that ability or willingness to go deep because it is we're 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 lifting the lid on things. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that when we come back. Stay tuned with my good friend Jody Gibson. This is Dave Cook. Stop telling and start listening, and we'll see you in a minute. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. We are living in a time where a relentless commitment to opinions and beliefs are dividing communities and fracturing crucial relationships. Making ourselves right and those who disagree with us wrong leaves little room for engaging in a constructive learning dialogue. There is little opportunity to change minds, find common ground, or solve complex problems. Those who are not being heard or understood become angry, hurt, lost, isolated, alone, and more. While mental health-related issues are on the rise, too few know how to safely share their struggles, and far too many don't know how to care about those that do. While it is increasingly frustrating to experience an increase in this communication divide, there is hope. And according to David Cook, there is an answer. The answer lies in how we adjust our communication style and shift our listening behaviors. In his radio show, Stop Telling and Start Listening, host David Cook introduces his audiences to the power found in creating a safe place for sharing life perspectives and experiences without judgment, criticism, correction, or shame. There are tremendous opportunities in learning to see the world from the eyes of another. Join David on Mondays at 11 Pacific. Discover how shifting your listening behaviors will close the divide that exists between you and others in your community. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You're listening to Stop Telling and Start Listening. Have a question for David or his guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Or you can email Dave at dave at thecookgroupllc.com. Now, back to the show with David. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is David Cook with Stop Telling and Start Listening. And I have Jody Gibson on the on the call with me today. Um, Jody, it was really funny. I'm going to... Um, my my son my son is going to be my my story example today sure. so um because it you know we talk about um masking or recognizing you know and that kind of stuff you know going back and you know anchors and you know the, the, first you got to you you got to recognize you got to discover the anchors right because we don't know they're there where they where they're right. just existing but um you know my my son and his addiction journey He's 35 years old now, but, you know, I'm kind of, so I'm synopsizing probably 18 years, seven, 19 years worth of conversations. But I remember one time talking to my son about going to therapy and he basically said, I don't want to go to therapy. He says, cause I, I know there's something there, but I don't know what's going to make a difference. And then a couple of years later, it's like, talk to him and says, you need some help with this recovery. 
it was, yeah, I know there's something there, but I don't know what I'll, what to do if, you know, if I, you know, if I lifted up the box, can I, can I handle it? And then a couple of years later, he, you know, I said, so have you really thought about, you know, maybe getting some professional help and spending some time unpacking the stuff that's gets getting into this? And he goes, um, no, because I know there's a lot there and I don't know if I can deal with it. And then finally one day, um, this was really weird. We were we were having this conversation right before he went in and got his therapy. Uh, we actually went into his trauma therapy and we were talking about something, having this great conversation. And I was trying to encourage him to make a left turn and speak with a professional. And his aura completely changed. And he got this really dark look on his face. And he says, Dad, I can't talk to you about this. And I said, okay, fine. He goes, no, it's just, he says, you need to understand. He says, I know that I was loved as a, as a child. I know that, you know, you and mom loved me and did the best that you could. But he's there. he says, there's something there that I need to deal with. And I just don't know what it is, but I don't want to talk to you about it. So it's kind of interesting as he became more and more aware of some things in his past that he needed to deal with, he became, you know, two things. He became more curious, but he came more terrified. Sure. You know, you know, he was aware that there was something back there. He just didn't know what it meant or how to deal with it. Because like you said, he masked it. He dealt with it in different ways. He avoided it. He numbed himself from it, whatever. And, you know, so that, 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 you know, being aware is a is a good start, but it requires a little bit more after that, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you bring a couple of really great points up. And I forgot that we had that common thread. I'm going to circle back to it. But I think that's really, it's really common in addictions and in a couple other lenses that people are more afraid of what they might find if they lift the lid up than if they just, can, like, then than if they don't, mm-hmm. right? But I always say life is so much heavier. Like imagine carrying around all these rocks, these gigantic rocks in your backpack that you don't even need anymore, mm-hmm. but you're afraid to put them down because you're afraid if you open the bag, you don't know what the rock looks like or you don't know what you're going to know, right? Like we don't know, we don't know. Mm-hmm. We're not sure what we might learn from unearthing those things. And they're like, no, just let let them lie, let them rest, right? Mm-hmm. But I share that in saying, it's always lighter to release the trauma than to carry it with you. Mm-hmm. And I candidly share that in saying, I feel like I have a two different things going on in my mind that all relate to the same thing, but I forgot that we had that in common about the addictions. I think when I met you, my daughter was in full-blown addictions. Mm-hmm. If it was four years ago, right? So she's been in recovery for three and a half years. And that is a journey no parent on the planet ever wants to be a part of or any person, right? Mm-hmm. But I look at that same lens with two different spaces, right? I could either view my daughter as we we talked about this earlier as broken, or I could view her as what did I not give her as a mom? What tool does she not have access to that would allow her to feel whole and not want to use, mm-hmm. right? Because using is also, a, it's a mask. And I share mm-hmm. that in saying, People mask their feelings, they mask their pain by all the things, drinking, smoking, shopping, ignoring, distorting, gambling. Like there's so many things that we mask. Screwing. (laughs) All of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bullying. Um, I'm a a firm believer that bullying. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All of those things are masks. So I share that in saying that that was a, um, I want to say a beautiful dance. Other people might not use the word beautiful, but this is my work. This is what I do, Right. 
So there are really tender moments in her journey where she didn't want to talk to me about what she was going through because there was blame present, right? And I'm much the same way with my parents. Anybody that looking in my life might say, oh yeah, they had the greatest, she had the greatest parents on the planet. I'm not going to negate that. I think I did too. But there were pieces that were missing that I didn't have access to, that I also didn't have access to then for my older daughter. Mm-hmm. I think I'm I'm closing in on the gap with my younger daughter. But I share that in saying those are hard conversations to have with people, especially when your son was like, Dad, I don't think I can talk with you about this, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think our kids have such a deep level of respect for us that they don't, I feel like they don't want us to feel pain or they don't want us to feel the blame of their journey. At least mine, Alex didn't, right? My daughter didn't, but, but in that same space, giving them the space to unearth, like, please say whatever you want or, or throw it back at whatever you need to do in order to heal. Yeah. So I think that's the area of like, I think sometimes people don't want to unearth things or they don't want to rock the boat because it's steady right now. Mm-hmm. But the question is, is it really steady? I mean, is it really allowing you to live the life that you want? Is it allowing you to leave the legacy behind that you want? Or are you also by masking, teaching your kids to mask? Mm-hmm. Or like when we don't feel our feelings, we're teaching our kids to not feel theirs. When mm-hmm. we don't speak up and use our voice, we're teaching our kids not to do the same. Right. So I share that in saying, like, I think I share it in the book and I just shared it recently. It was either in a journal or in a a podcast, something, but I was talking about parents will say, um, no, you listen to me and you, and they're constantly shutting their kids down when their kids are trying to say, well, this is what happened. Well, this is whatever. But yet that's the same voice they expect their kids to be able to use when they're out with friends and someone starts drinking or someone starts making a really bad choice or somebody pulls out drugs. They want their kids to then be able to use their voice, yet they can't use it in their own household. Right. Right. And so it's about understanding, like, what pattern are we teaching them? Mm -hmm. Have we given them access to the skills we're expecting from them? Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, I laugh at when I hear that because it's kind of like the, the, you know, the old school, you know, dad, why do I? Because I said so. You know, and exactly. until you until you get a job or until you graduate college, until you have kids of your own, you're going to do things the way I do it. And it's kind of like, OK, so now I'm, my map is I have to follow my dad. But the and, and it's but I but I'm in disagreement. I'm in disagreement. I'm in pain. I'm lost. I need advice. I don't need scolding, you know, whatever it is. Yes. But but they're so dialed into the, you know, that thing. You know, I have a um, one of the things that popped up is I have a saying that I've used is when I, and I use it with, with business people too, but the idea with parents is be the parent that your child needs you to be, not the parent you think you need to be. Right. We could or do the that. parent we could, that you had. Right. Well, it's yeah. usually, usually that's, that's the parent I think I need to be. The parent I think I need to be is not the parents that I had. You yeah. know, I, you know, I know that my commitment was when I raise my kids, they're not, I'm not going to raise my kids the way my parents raised me because I was, I was rambunctious. I was wild. I was crazy. I was very animated, um, very creative, but very disruptive at the same time. My parents had no clue how to deal with me. Same. Right. Yeah. So, so what they did was they managed me. They didn't raise me. So when I was determined to say, I'm going to, I'm going to raise my kids. So when they're in trouble, we're going to have these great conversations, but you know, in the end, all I was doing was trying to not do what they needed. I was trying to not do what my parents did. That didn't necessarily mean I did the right thing. All I did was try to do something different in rebellion to my parents. 
but not necessarily in true support to my children. Right. You know, and that was, that's what I learned about my son because basically that's what he came from with his addiction was that he, he never felt good enough. That's what he said. I, I, I grew up in an environment where I know I was loved, but I never felt good enough. Um, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's, that's an indictment on me. But the thing is, is that when he would do something and be successful, me, the, 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 the results oriented, high performing kind of individual that I am, I would try to give him tools, tricks and things so that he could do better at what he was doing well at. He didn't hear encouragement. He heard a criticism. Sure. You know, so I wasn't criticizing my kids like my parents did, you know, or said, you know, you're, you're a screw up, quit screwing up. I didn't say that. You're doing great. Here's how to be better. But the message was the same message, just a different, you know, was received. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So. And, and you think about the things where it's like, I think in the moments that we want to protect our kids are usually the times when we, we really, it's a, a great opportunity to teach. Mm -hmm. instead of protect. Mm -hmm. And I share that in saying there's a lot of times I think we either don't have the fierce conversations with them because we were like, oh, they're going to get mad at me or they're not going to like this or we don't discipline them because we don't want to deal with the repercussions. Right. Mm -hmm. But I share that in saying that also leaves them without the skill of the discipline. It leaves them without the ability to learn. Right. Right. Like we can't we can't teach them how to ride a bike. They have to get on the bike. You have to skin your knee. You have to fall off. You have to do all the things, right? That's right. why you wear a helmet. Most kids do, right? Yeah. But I, I candidly share that and saying, we can't teach a kid how to ride a bike. You have to just let them get on the bike and hope that they're going to, right? Find the balance, find the steering, find all the things. And it might take a day. It might take a week. It might take an entire summer. It might take a couple of summers. It depends on the kid. Right. But to say, oh, no, he doesn't ride a bike because he can't, he can't find out balance. Right. Like, what are you holding? Like, no, teach him how to ride a bike. Yeah. Or, oh, he and doesn't do that because we're trying to protect him and put him in this bubble. Yet we wonder why kids can't function in the world or adults can't function. It's because we're trying to protect them. I candidly share this in saying I live in a, a pretty affluent area and I only live here for the schools. I, I'd much rather not be here because this is not my scene. But the idea here is just buy a bigger toy and be the coolest kid on the block where it's mm -hmm. like, no, like, wait, what? Like, and same thing of like people, oh, everybody's wearing that or everybody does this where it's like, no, why are we being like everybody else? Why are we ad adhering to their hardcore and very pretentious level of masking. Like, mm -hmm. what are you hiding when you have to put all of that on your facade? Yeah. Right. And so I think it's about recognizing in this, I candidly share too, when we see people that are super decorated, right? Whether it's where they live, what they drive, what they're dripping in, what kind of clothes and jewelry and bags and motorcycles and muscles, right? All the things, right? It's like, what's actually going on inside that you have to wear a mask that big? Yeah. And I think right now we're teaching kids to wear masks and we're protecting them from allowing people to see what's underneath all of that. Mm -hmm. But that's what we thrive off of, right? I think, at least for me, I'm like, I thrive off of what's inside. I always candidly try that the only person that's impressed with your mask is other people that wear masks. Mm -hmm. I'm not that guy. I'd rather hang out with you in a t-shirt and a pair of jeans, maybe in some flip-flops wandering around a downtown area than getting all fancy and 
comparing cool shit, right? That's that's but pretty I, much that's pretty much my lifestyle now. It's flip flops, right. flip flops, t-shirts, and shorts. What yes, a rough life! So like, how do we teach people to just feel okay and feel authentic in the skin that they're in with all of their flaws yeah. and all of the things that they perceive to be wrong with them? Yeah. It's like that's what makes you real. That's what makes you human. Having right. to hide all that stuff—that's a hard job. Mm-hmm. And and why like? Because the only person you're probably hiding it from is other people that hide. Because mm-hmm. anybody else would see. And we're also doing. and we're also hiding it. You know, it's like you said. It, it, we do that. We put on our uniform because so, it makes us feel better. It allows us to be accepted into a crowd that we want to be accepted into. But if you're not healthy, you know, if you're not emotionally, physically, psychologically, spiritually healthy, the uniform isn't going to save you. Right. Right. All it does, all it does, is a, is a is a coat of arms that protects you, but you're still you're still you're still in defensive mode. You're still you're still looking for protection, and and you're you're not in existence. And I think that's what you're really you know like pointing to. You sure. Know, when when we um, when I've talked to parents, it's kind of funny. I don't know what your take is on this, but um, you know, parents go, "Well, I don't want my kids to go through what I went through." You know, I hear that a lot. I'm thinking, you know, I get it. Like that's what built you. That's right. That that's it. You're here today as a byproduct of all your decision choices and behaviors, and you have the you have wisdom of experience. You have the you have uh, discernment in your experience. You have the gift of the lessons. So who you are today is a result of you know of that journey of that trip. And it includes all the screw ups and the mistakes and the stupid things that, yeah, gosh, you know, that wasn't my best. That wasn't my best day. Did you learn from it? Hell yes. Good. That's the point. Yes, 100%. And I, it just pinged for me another thing that you were sharing. But yeah, I think it's about telling our kids this is going to be hard, but mm-hmm. I'm standing right next to you. Mm-hmm. It's it's instead of saying, and I, I think it's age dependent, right? Like when they're little, of course you're you're standing in front of them, right? But the the older, I feel like they become, you know, uh, teenagers. You're like, okay, I'm going to start shifting to the side, and I'm going to let you show me all the things that you've learned, right? And you're kind of letting them earn the responsibility, and then we're mm-hmm. gonna, I say, we have to set them free at some point, mm-hmm. right? But I share that in saying my older daughter who just turned thirty just bought a house a couple days ago. And the fun thing about that was, I I feel like a couple of different times during the transaction, I was like, hey, listen, I just want to tell you that things might fall apart. Like for anybody that's bought a house, you know, you have to do an inspection, you have to do an appraisal, (laughs) you have to, right? It's like at any point in time, this might go south and we're going to have to start with a different house. But then once we got through it and we're like, okay, we're good. I also said, hey, now that this is your house, you're going to find stuff that's broken. You're going to find stuff like, because she was saying, oh my gosh, I just realized that I don't have a landlord anymore. Like, what am I going to do when these things happen? And so I was like naming off all the people that we have that are handyman. I was like, now you have like 10 or 15 landlords because you can dial any one of these people and they'll help you. But it was like, as a mom, I could either say, yeah, you should keep renting because if having a landlord makes you feel safe, cool. Or I could say, no, this is how you learn how to paint. This is how you learn how to DIY. This is how you learn how to do things you probably don't want to do, but it comes with being a homeowner. Right. Right. And so it's like, I could either keep her safe emotionally and, or I could say, no, this is going to be big and scary. Who knows what we're going to find, but I'm going to stand here with you for when it gets hard. Right. And I think that's the thing that people are like, no, I'd rather mask it for them then stand there and watch it be hard. 
Mm-hmm. But the hard is how all of us, I feel like we're all Gen Z, right? Like that's, we did, like we defined hard. We we didn't have a lot of the things that, I don't want to date myself. And I almost just said the things that kids have today, right? But like- Yeah, look at you go. We did everything from scratch, right? Like we we created some really cool legacies, but understanding, like, I think that we're all invincible. Well, we I didn't get, all... I didn't get a new bike every three years. I kept no, repairing the bike, one I a got. Backpack, a co- yeah. All the schools, all that. Yeah. Don't get me started. But I share that in saying, no, we figured out how to make the old bike work. We borrowed stuff from friends. We put stuff together and we, we built community mm-hmm. and we used what we had to get to where we wanted to go. We didn't mask and say, no, I'm just going to sit on my porch all day. Cause I don't have a new bike. Mm-hmm. we were like, oh, my buddy has a bike and I don't, I'm going to ride on his bike. And then when we get there, I'm going to write like we, we, we had a community. And so I just say that I just want to share that, like the more skills we teach to our kids and the more we allow them to feel pain, this, the stronger they get. But I want to say feel pain in a responsible, appropriate way. Right. But I think that's what discipline and boundaries are about. And I share that too, like, if we beat up on our kids, and we don't teach them these things, but then when they grow up, and they get into a relationship, and we don't, you know, I feel like if they're in an abusive relationship, or if they're in a relationship where it's not balanced, or whatever, that came from what we taught them. Mm -hmm. So I think it'd be really cool to say, hey, what could I teach them really young, that they can carry with them for life, even if it hurts? Right. And if we're and if we're teaching them like the way you said, um, masking and conformity and and you know inauthentic behaviors and all that other stuff, that's yeah. then then they then they you know in, in the end what happens is they don't have an identity, right? Um, because everybody everybody mapped it out for them. And it's like okay, now that I'm by my like you're like your daughter saying yeah, now that I don't have you know now that I don't have a landlord, what do I do? Well, you'll figure it out. Here's some things that you can do to figure it out because yeah. you because you figured it out. Sure. But if you didn't figure out, that's a good question. I have no idea. We might have to figure this out together. That's a whole different exercise. Yeah. But you could go, yeah, that's the scary part because I never did. I didn't, you know, living on my own and being on my own. That was I, I sucked at it. I couldn't figure anything out. Then that becomes the story. Your child becomes afraid of being right. in that situation because you told them how bad it was. Right. Just like if we, I share this too, like if we badmouth the other parent or we badmouth the other city or we badmouth, it struggles me back to like, people aren't born racist. It's a learned behavior, right? Mm-hmm. People aren't born with anxiety. It's a learned behavior. Mm-hmm. People aren't, we're not born with all these things. It's learned. Right. And so I share that and saying like, what are we teaching our kids? Well, even if, if you don't have kids, what are we teaching the people around us? If we're leading a team or what are we modeling? Right. Like we're all, my dad always says like, everyone's either a warning or an example. Like That's awesome. Right. And so it's like, understand that like, you're constantly leading, you're constantly modeling, even when you don't want to be. You're either so a you're warning or an example. Doing, yeah. Like he said, you're, everybody's either a warning or an example, right? Love but it. be conscious of which one you are. And so understanding, like if we're modeling something to our kids, but we're telling them that that we're expecting something different. Like if we're saying, oh, you have to be healthy and we're smoking or, oh, you have to be healthy and we're throwing back cheeseburgers. What are we really telling them? We're teaching them that our audio doesn't have to match our video. 
Yeah. Or we're saying you do what I say, not what I do or whatever the crazy thing is. Right. Like understanding, like you're teaching them that things don't have to match. You're teaching them that you don't have to tell the truth. You're teaching them to embody or shut their voice down and not feel their feelings. Right. And so it's, it's about recognizing what role am I playing right now? Yeah. What am I the warning or am I the example? Yeah. And I mean, day dependent, I'm not really sure which one I am either day, but um, I candidly share that. Right. But understanding like when we get really conscious of how we're operating and then it, it starts to create an awareness of, oh, that's why my kids act like that. Or that's why they say that thing. Or that's why my, when my spouse says that I get fired up is because my parent used to say that or my old teacher used to say that or my old whoever, right? Even yeah. if you're at work and you're the recipient of a be behavior that doesn't suit you, it's like, what would it take for you to speak up? What would it take for you to stand in your power? What would it yeah. take for you to say, why am I tolerating this? At what age did I learn to tolerate? And so it's just a whole nother level of conscious awareness. And the more aware we are of the role that we're playing in our life, the further we get, the further we get, the harder we get to play. Yeah. Really. Well, believe it or not, we ran out of time. <laughs> Let's go so quick. Well, really quick, because before we, you have, you have like uh, the reason I like made an abrupt transition. Um, you have about a minute and a half to tell us how we can find you and what you do um, in your own words. So how do, how do we get a hold of you, Jody? Absolutely. You can go to my website, which is jodygibson.com. And Jody is spelled with two E's. It's J-O-D-E-E-G-I-B-S-O-N. Okay. Also, all of my handles across all social media is also just at Jody Gibson. Um, I have a book out called Healing Your Map. That you can find on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and many other places. Um, I do speak often. I teach a couple classes. I do coaching, all kinds of things. So if you want me to coach, write, or speak, I am your person. That's awesome. Yeah. And I've, like I said, I've known Jody for um, four years. We've had some really good conversations. There's a lot of your, your journey. You've learned a lot on your map yes. <laughs> and your road. And um, you know, that, and I've enjoyed, I always find great insight and energy in talking to you. So I, I know anybody who would like to talk to Jody, um, just remember it's Jody, J O D E E Gibson. And you can find her on all the handles I did when I used that. So that's the best way to you know, connect with her. Jody, this was um, so fast. It always goes by so quick, but I really appreciate okay. you being here. And, Absolutely. Um, Thank you, friend. Yeah, this was fun. Good stuff. All right. So everybody, um, have a great week. We are, we'll be back next week. I wish I could tell you my guest is, but I don't have my notes in front of me. But it'll be somebody just as cool, if not um, at least close to as cool as Jody. And in the meantime, open your heart. Open your ears, open your mind, because when you start listening, everything changes. This is David Cook with my friend Jody Gibson. Have a great week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stop Telling and Start Listening. We hope you've picked up on some useful ideas to help you enhance your conversational skills. Until we listen again, have a beautiful week.